Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. Uh, this week we are not doing an episode of our uh, candidate series that we started last week. Um, as I as I stated before, that's not going to be every week uh, throughout uh, throughout the next foreseeable future. But it will be most weeks. I certainly hope you enjoyed our first interview with Jared Cannon, uh, running for West Virginia House of Delegates. Um, we will be continuing that next week with another uh, another state candidate, state rep candidate. Um, running in South Carolina. His name is Britton Wolf, and I'm very excited about bringing him on. And then we're only just going to be um, getting uh, bigger and and more uh, higher profile candidates uh, as we go along. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I am very excited about everything that we are we are doing um, in in the near future. Uh, so just stay tuned for that, and we'll have more information for you when that stuff uh, begins to unravel. Um, but this week, we are going to be doing, it's just going to be you and me this week. This week, we are going to be discussing um, the free market and the environment. Now, it is Earth uh, Earth Day on Sunday, I do believe, this upcoming Sunday on April 22nd, um, and we haven't discussed too much in depth about, uh, about where the, uh, the free market approach to the environment should be. Is, is there a free market approach to the environment? Should we um, take one side or, or should we take a priority? Or a side where oftentimes the economy and the environment are are very often uh, pitted against one another. I want to address all of those things. I also want to explain how how the government is actually, if you if you really care about the environment, then shrink the size and scope of government. I also want to dive into a little bit of history about how the how the market has been beneficial to uh, really the best thing to happen to the environment. Um, but first, I, I really want to tell you why this is important, because uh, the left has for so long dominated this issue, and and typically it's more the right has one side of the issue, the left has the other side of the issue. That's not necessarily the case when it comes to the environment. With the uh, anybody who is not right in line with leftist thinking, who doesn't want more government, uh, who doesn't want like carbon taxes or more energy regulations or whatever the issue may be, uh, subsidies and and in specific energy fields. Um, the left, that has been the left's playing field. The right, in general, I'm sort of bunching libertarians in, in that field, but it's just every anybody who doesn't have an ideology that the government must do something uh, to stop 
uh, pollution to protect the environment, then they've really failed on the issue. They have, they have not dominated whatsoever on this issue. And that is really harmful because, for one, especially uh, if you're listening to this program, I'm going to assume your age a little bit with, uh, with a few exceptions. But young people, this is a really, really important um, area that young people talk about. And while it may not be a top, a, a, a number one issue for, for most young people, it's at least a number two or number three issue, which is much higher than in any other generation. Um, and that's because, for one, well, we, we've, we've been raised to believe that there's this sort of alarmist thinking when it comes to the environment, and I think part of that is harmful. Um, but the other thing is that I think with many other issues, the environment is an issue where where young people, where millennials, generation, oh, what's the next generation? Generation Z, I believe, um, where they think that they can actually make a difference because uh, this generation, the millennials and Generation Z, these are people who are doers. These are people who want to see change happen. And the best one of the best or one of the uh, most effective ways they they see that is is through environmental uh, ways through environmental uh, policy and some of that if we can tap into that can be very very beneficial for freedom it can be very very beneficial for liberty it can be very beneficial for capitalism as a whole if we don't pit the two against each other this is where we have to uh, we cannot let any single um, political faction dominate, whether it be the right wing when it comes to war, whether it be the left wing when it comes to the environment. If you let them dominate that, government will always win. No matter how you you prioritize that issue, you can't just say, well, somebody else will do that because somebody else already is prioritizing that issue. And it's not the people that you want to prioritize it. The environment has always been uh, the left's back way door into more regulation. It has been their back way door into um, in, into more control over the economy because it's hard to it's hard to say that you want to raise people's taxes on on the majority of people uh, because people hear that and they're like, I don't want to pay more taxes. I've, I'm already taxed enough. It's hard to say that um, even even something like the $15 minimum wage, that's a hard pill to swallow because more people, I believe, are waking up to the fact, and this is where libertarians have really done a really great job at explaining the economics behind this, that if you increase the minimum wage, you are going to lead to more um, youth unemployment. It's going to be hurting the very people you are intending on uh, protecting. Well, we haven't been able to do that quite as uh, effectively with the environment. There, there are several areas where where we could get better on this, but the environment is one of the one of the bigger issues. When you look at the history of this, when you look at our um our the the markets history, the free markets history, the uh, the entrepreneurs, the innovators. When you look at their role in protecting the environment, you will see, uh, and this is something we'll we'll get into here in in just a moment. You will see that there are far these individuals are far better and far more equipped at protecting the environment than the government is. And it is only beneficial if you let things go unregulated 
because that is how you get to quicker. Uh, that's how you, you more quickly get to better, faster, um, more reliable, more renewable energy sources um, because that is the way that nations grow. That's the way that progress grows. But we'll get into that for just a second. First of all, I want to get into the philosophy behind why uh, all those tropes about uh, if you if you destroy the EPA, then everyone's just going to start polluting the rivers and the and the air. And if you uh, if you cut back on all these regulations, some of them created by the Obama administration. So literally within the past eight years, it's not like we had terrible air and water before then. Um, but the the alarmist mentality that they have created is that if you cut back on any environmental regulation whatsoever, then you are going to see the extinction of species, you're going to see the pollution of water, you're going to see uh, oil in your water, you're going to see... Um, you know, these giant clouds where you can't even breathe, it's so thick, uh, and that is just simply ridiculous. I want to get into the philosophy of why that's ridiculous, um, because logically speaking, from a market standpoint, uh, the idea is that, from the left, the idea is that companies will do whatever they want because they, the only green they care about is money. The only, they don't care about uh, the earth, they don't care about you, the only green they care about is money, which is a fallacy in so many different areas beyond just the environment and how ridiculous that is. But let's talk about that. Let's, let's, break, let's break that down for a second. The idea, of course, is that companies have no incentive. This is a key word, incentive. That is what drives the economy. And that is why government is so inefficient at everything. Because of that word incentive the idea is that they have no incentive to protect the environment without government telling them they have to without government saying no no, no you can't pollute these waters you can't pollute the air you can't uh you can't make a, a species go extinct you can't make people sick which is absolutely a ridiculous notion if you're polluting the waters first of all they drink out of that water too, not just us, but let's just say, you know, they have their own magical source of water that only they drink out of and, and, and nobody else can get to it, okay? If that was the case, then they're polluting the people, their customers. They're, they're polluting the very people that they want money from. If you are harming them, they are not going to use your product or service. That just makes sense. If in a com in a completely free market, now that that's not to say that without, uh, if there is government involvement, if there are subsidies, if there are um, certain regulations that help bigger companies and and harm smaller companies, all of those things taken into consideration, they yeah, you could probably get away with polluting some water. Um, <laughs> without any incentive to 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 clean it up or, or do anything about it. Um, but in a completely free market, if you do that, you are harming your competition. Or excuse me, you are harming your customers, which creates a giant opening for your competition to step up and say, whoa, 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 you see these guys, these guys that don't care about your health, these guys that don't care about the water that you're drinking out of or the air that you breathe, come to us because we do. Because we have products that won't 
uh, pollute your water, that m won't make uh, certain species go extinct, that won't um, pollute your air. If you come to us, we have just as good quality, we have just as good quantity, and we're not going to harm you. That's the way that the market works. Anytime that you have a completely free and unregulated market, competition like that steps up because there is a demand, believe it or not, believe it or not, there is a demand for clean air and clean water without the government there to do something about it. Now, I will give this caveat that there is a um, role... Well, I'd, okay, I have to be very careful about the way I say this because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, in, in the theory that government's only role is to protect people's life, liberty, and property, under, under that pretense, there, is a, uh, there would be a role, certainly more of a role, for government involvement in environmental issues than there would be for, say, um, uh, uh, social issues or, or, or the war on drugs or something like that. That's something that even uh, people like Milton Friedman would, would give leeway to that, yes, you, you can create a scenario in environmental policy where it would make sense for the government to step in and say, hold up, you can't do this because you're harming people. I say that because, yes, the government does have a conceivable role to play in protecting people's health when it comes to the environment. That is often taken way further than what it should. Okay, and what I mean by that is that they often step in places where the market could easily uh, fix something, could easily uh, take care of something, um, with the pretense that anything that falls under, quote, environmental issues should be handled by the government. And I don't think that everything that deals with the environment should be um, government mandated. I do believe that the market, believe it or not, I do believe that the market can actually protect the environment and people's health way more effectively than um, government can. One of the ways, now I will say this, if there was any way that I think that uh, government has a role, it's not necessarily one more regulation or one more law or anything like that. If there was anything, it would be through property rights. And what I mean by that is that if you have private property and there's some company down the street that is polluting the water that that is on your property, you have a legitimate case to be made. The government absolutely can step in and say, hold up, what are you doing? You're polluting this guy's, this guy's water. You're polluting this guy's land. Um, in that case, absolutely, the government should be able to step in. Because I believe that actually property rights, that is an environmental issue. That is an issue where you're not going to pollute your own property, okay? People who, who own property, they, they typically don't like to <laughs> to make a mess of it or at least to to make it uh uninhabitable and it even if they do you still can't do that to somebody else even if they absolutely just trash everything they don't care about their own property they don't care about what they're doing they still can't do that to somebody else because somebody else also has 
the same property rights that they can't violate just because you don't you don't really care about the environment on your own property. I believe that's a very, very effective way of protecting uh, the environment as well as people's rights at the same time. But going back to what I was talking about earlier, there absolutely is an incentive for in, in the market, a market incentive for companies, for corporations, for individuals to protect the environment. Because in an unregulated market, if you don't, somebody else will. This is this is sort of going back to what we were talking a little bit about. These are very connected, and uh, you'll see here in, in just a second, um, way more connected than what you might think. This is this the mentality that there absolutely is an incentive, regardless of what you may have been taught in school. Uh, this also can be applied to monopolies, which we we did a whole episode on that uh, a few weeks ago, or, or a couple months ago, I should say. I guess now it is. Uh, back in January, I believe. Um, and the idea is that even if you do not have anybody in competition right now, in a free market, somebody else is waiting at the bits for you to make a misstep. And as soon as you make that misstep, somebody else steps up, rises, and says, and says, you know what, I have what you want, what you are wanting from this company here that they are not giving you. That is the market incentive for everything that you fear capitalism cannot protect against. Everything that you fear the market fails at. Everything that you are taught about companies and corporations and how they treat people, how they treat workers, how they treat uh, the environment, how they treat, you name it, is a lie. Now that's not to say that companies cannot behave badly. They're, hu they, they're run by human beings, just like government. Obviously they can behave badly. Obviously they can do nefarious things. We all have a, a sort of selfish nature um, to to act poorly on. But the difference is, is that in a completely free market, those people will not survive. They make their missteps and they fail. This is why I think as libertarians, we cannot be seen as being pro-business because that's not what we are. Don't make that mistake. Don't don't make the mistake of, of defending a company no matter the cost every single time because companies are 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 made of people and people make mistakes all the time sometimes intentional sometimes purely by accident the difference is that under the marketplace those actions have consequences under the marketplace you can't get away with these things because the demand that 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 people have for clean air and clean water in this situation and in, in in the context of this episode but it could be applied to uh, 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 workplace conditions it could be applied to wages it doesn't matter it could be applied to anything in a free market those things can be taken care of because of the demand the market demand that has to be fulfilled the perfect example of this would be, does anyone remember the BP oil spill? Remember how scrutinized they were um, about how how sloppy their work was 
at uh at, at how long that spill lasted it lasted for over 100 days i believe i had to go back and look but it lasted for a really really long time people were saying what the hell is the matter why can't you plug this thing why are you polluting the oceans i promise you you know who is not going to get uh any more oil spills at least in the foreseeable future this was back in 2010 it's 2018 now you know who's not going to have any more oil spills in the foreseeable future bp because the public backlash and scrutiny that they faced as they should have mind you this was the market doing what it does best this doesn't mean that things like uh, oil spills will never happen this doesn't mean that pollution would never happen it means that the market will be able to be the best form of consequence and the bp oil spill is the best modern example of that also we have to understand a little bit i i do want to get a little bit into energy's role as uh and uh, for a developing nation i find it so hypocritical for um now that we've sort of brought up bp um i i do want to get into this i find it so hypocritical for people on the left to claim that they're fighting for the poor while at the same time claim that they want to eliminate all fossil fuels across the board and they think they can do that through government regulation without having any concept of how detrimental and devastating that would be to poor people to, to poor families understand that um there's a certain progression that nations take as they grow and they develop they always go through these steps um it's it's absolutely impossible to go straight from hunters and gatherers as a nation all the way to solar wind and renewable energy sources that is not happening you are condemning a people to a life of poverty um that they can never escape if you try to do that this is the progression of capitalism the best way that you can get to solar is by stepping back not trying to get involved with the government and let the let the growth take its course this is what happened in america and this is what so many other countries are doing around the world right now the progression generally is as nations go from hunter-gatherers to agriculture to industrial to post-industrial so too this is kind of how our energy goes it goes from fire to coal to oil to natural gas to renewable energies like solar and wind and then eventually we get to to really uh renewable and sustainable and long-term energy sources like nuclear um if you try to skip those steps all you're doing is further uh further depending people on the resources that they had before if you try to go from let's just say coal straight to uh solar then you are ensuring that those people that you try to wing off coal and go straight to solar you are sure you are ensuring those people will always be needing coal as a form of energy because they're not ready for it because they haven't reached that 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 capacity in their growth to say okay we can start moving away from this form of energy into the next uh much more economical form of energy because when you get up to coal and um and 
or excuse me, when you get up to solar and, and wind and things like that, those things are very expensive, especially when you're first trying it as a, as a, as a nation. Now, we surpass the Industrial Revolution. We're right now in America in a post-industrial age. You would say, you would think that if we're in this post-industrial age that you don't necessarily need coal, you don't necessarily need oil, but that's not necessarily the case um, because America is not really like other countries. We don't have a one-size-fits-all system. We have in some situations, in places like Florida, in places like Texas, in places like Arizona, very solar heavy. Those are places that absolutely can use solar for their benefit. And they are at that stage, both economically and just geographically, they're able to do things like that. You look at places like West Virginia, you uh, you look at places uh, like just, just the entire coal belt, um, in, in the Appalachian region, they are not there economically or geographically to move beyond coal. If you are trying to force a whole nation, let alone some third world countries, you are condemning those people into poverty because they won't be able to afford it and they'll eventually fall back on the resource that uh, they had been using that was so effective and now you have done absolutely nothing to help the environment. The best way that you can help the environment is by letting nations grow naturally through their progression of energy from fire all the way up to the more uh, non-renewables, natural gas, and also nuclear. Now, I want to take a little bit of time to tell you a few little stories about how private stewardship is actually actually has an amazing and rich history. How private individuals and companies and some of the richest and in, in one situation that I, I'm going to tell you, the richest man in history, um, actually has done far more good for the environment than anything government could ever, ever hope to do. As you know, one of the one of the most famous, or at least as I would hope that you would know, one of the most famous um, conservationists and environmentalists, and one of the original quote-unquote environmentalists. Um, I, I say that because I find that somewhat laughable. Um, would be Teddy Roosevelt. Now, if you listen to my episode on Teddy Roosevelt, you know that I really don't have a high opinion of him. And I am not changing that here in this episode. Back when he was president, back when um, he could actually do things, that he, many of the policies that he made, some of the strides that he made was in conservation and the acquisition of federal lands. Now, I have many, many issues with the way he went about uh, conservation. One of which is that he stole land from the states. The idea that he had this strange mentality that was not really backed by by actual fact. It wasn't backed by, by anything. It, it was just the idea that the government should own these lands to protect them. Despite the fact that there was there was no evidence that that states were doing any worse without the federal government in the protection of lands. There was no evidence that 
that private companies were doing any worse. Actually, if you if you look into some of the history of this, private companies were doing a far better job at, at conservation than government was. So it wasn't actually based on any hard evidence that the government needed to step in and, and protect uh, these lands and establish national parks and the uh, Department of the Interior. This was, in his mentality, one of another way, yet another way, to grow the size and scope of government. And this is, I think, one of the most damaging ways because how I, – I can't think of anything – that affects the size and scope of government than the acquisition of federal lands. Now we're at the point to where the federal government owns pretty much the West. <laughs> I mean, if you look at Nevada and you look at how much the federal government owns of Nevada, it is pretty much the entire state. Like, it's like 90% owned by the federal government. That is astounding. That is the legacy that Teddy Roosevelt has left for us, where the government, now we have situations like the Clive and Bundy situation, where you have standoffs between ranchers and the feds over land disputes. But why on earth did Teddy Roosevelt think that not only states, but private individuals and private companies would be so harmful to land without any evidence to suggest this? In fact, in fact, um, the evidence suggested otherwise. He may have actually done more harm to the environment because of some other things that he did through trust busting and through breaking up monopolies um, because, quote, you know, quote monopolies because they weren't really monopolies in the truest sense of the word. Um, they were certainly large corporations, but I'll allude you to our episode on monopolies that was back earlier this year that I did. One of the best conservationists from that era was not Teddy Roosevelt. Using government to steal land from the states, that's not conservation. Using government to acquire more property that could be better utilized by private interest, by private uh, owners, that's not conservation. True conservation, I would say, comes from individuals like John D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, what? The oil tycoon? How on earth could he possibly be a conservationist? How on earth could somebody who dominated the oil industry, oil, how could he be beneficial to the environment? Well, because he was a revolutionary in this industry. See, for the longest time, for the longest time, um, Rockefeller became so powerful and, and acquired so much of his wealth, not because he bought out the competition or did anything like that, because he knew that nothing was to go to waste. Now, this could be, and now uh, you can look at this in a business sense that, that nothing should be wasted, wasted. Um, but also um, in, a, in a literal sense, he did not waste anything in the oil. He found new and innovative ways that had never been done before. This is when you hear people say that he was one of the men who built America. He literally helped build America. He found uh, new ways to dispose of oil waste or recycle it into ways that uh, they can be reused because he could, one, get more profit out of that, and two, 
that if if he was wasting something, then he wasn't actually um, getting the most out of it. For the longest time, companies, his competition, companies that came before him, all they would do, they would look at the waste from oil and say, I don't know what to do with this. So they would just dump it in the waters. They would dump it in the river. They would dump it in the lakes and the oceans. Rockefeller said, this is ridiculous. Not only is this harmful to the environment, it is entirely wasteful. Why would I want to waste something that could be better utilized elsewhere? So he used... Uh, so. This is actually where we get the tar in our, in our uh, roads from, is because of John Rockefeller. He cleaned up more, uh, he did more for, uh, to protect waters from pollution than any federal regulation could have done because he did it through innovation, the way that things are supposed to be done. Not only that, what if I were to tell you that John Rockefeller saved the whales? Back in the uh, late mid to late 1800s, whales were on the on the on the verge of extinction. Uh, believe it or not, because the best, most reliable, most effective uh, use of oil was from whales to extract oil from the whales. So we were killing the whales to get the oil. John Rockefeller found a different way. I'm going to read to you a a section from an article from Forbes. Um, I'll be linking to this in the show notes. You can read the entire article if you would like. It's, it's entitled, The Man Who Saved the Whales. And it reads, Between 1870 and 1900, John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company came to uh, dominate the oil refining business, at one point controlling 90% of U.S. capacity. Long before the, the proliferation of the automobile created a market for gasoline, the main use for petroleum in the 19th century was to make kerosene, which was, as you know, to illuminate lamps. Due in part to standard oil, over these decades, the price of kerosene dropped from 30 cents to 6 cents a gallon while production increased uh, astronomically, and the quality of the product steadily improved. While certainly Rockefeller played some hardball with other competition, in most cases his rapid growth came from the lower cost uh, of, of the product. The story is often told that when Rockefeller was seeking to buy, his, to buy a competitor, he would simply open his books. Competitors were shocked at how cheaply Rockefeller could produce kerosene, typically far below uh, their cost of production. Through Rockefeller's work, kerosene became both cheaper and safer than the whale oil and quickly began to replace uh, that oil, the whale oil, in the marketplace. By 1890, the American whaling fleet had already dropped from a peak of 730 ships, excuse me, 735 ships, to just 200, and was still falling, in large part due to the low cost of kerosene produced by Rockefeller's Standard Oil. If you tell a leftist or if you tell somebody on the left that Rockefeller, not not the government, but John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon, is responsible for bringing whales from the brink of extinction, they would absolutely lose their mind. I find that absolutely hilarious, but it's true. Government actually, excuse me, uh, private industry absolutely does have an incentive to protect the environment 
it comes in different ways. Sometimes it's by finding just a more, just simply a more efficient and more effective means of production than the the old method, as is the case with Rockefeller. Sometimes, as also is the case with Rockefeller, it comes from just um, not just not wanting to waste a single uh, drop of your product. Either way, the market absolutely does. These are just a couple examples of how the market absolutely has an incentive to protect the environment and to prevent pollution that you don't need the government for. And that's what I want. That's that's the message that I want you to take away from this. That's the message that I want you to really consider when discussing environmental policy. If you are somebody who um, goes on campus and, and if you're if you work for you know some group like Young Americans for Liberty or Students for Liberty or Turning Point USA or whatever. If you are somebody who's out of college and you're just in and you're in politics and you have to and, and you're looking at maybe you're a policymaker, um, that's what I want you to take away from this is that private industry through competition and through innovation and through efficiency is by far the most effective way of environmental protection. Nothing else even comes close. Nothing the government can do. I, I didn't even get into all the ways that the government is the biggest polluter of, of uh, the environment. How the, the U.S. military, the Department of Defense, is the biggest polluter on the face of the earth right now because they just dump all their waste into the oceans. I didn't even get into how how the growth of the state in situations like China and and, and Mao's uh, uh, experiments in communism led to one of the biggest environmental disasters in history, because because he tried to take a nation that was predominantly agricultural and flip it into an industrial titan virtually overnight in his great leap forward and that created one of the biggest environmental disasters in history let alone human genocides in history but the point is that i don't even have to go into that kind of stuff to make you understand that the market can do much better than what the government can do at environmental protection today you look at what the iphone has done where where you don't even back in the 60s and the 70s computers these supercomputers that would take up so much energy and take up so much water just to cool them um that would put off so much uh, uh waste and pollution into the atmosphere that can our iphones are more powerful than those supercomputers were back then. And it puts out virtually no energy. It puts out virtually, it, it absolutely puts out no, um, absolutely puts out no uh, waste or pollution. That is what environmental protection looks like. Innovation, efficiency. Look at how many trees have been saved by the invention of the thumb drive. Look at how many, uh, how how much pollution has been cut back because of the invention of the iPhone and by modern computers. That is the best way that the environment is protected. That is going to be our episode for today. Um, I hope you took away some pretty interesting facts that 
uh, some of the things I didn't even know when I was researching uh, some things to, to put into this episode. Next week, we're going to be continuing our Liberty Candidate series. I hope you share this around with a few, this this week's episode with a few of your um environmental friends people who who are who've got a green thumb some tree huggers and and uh maybe they can uh, have a little bit of a broader view or at least at least open up a interesting new discussion on what is true environmental protection does it actually come from the government i say not really i say no it's uh that there, there is actually no better means of protecting the environment than good old-fashioned capitalism. Enjoy your Earth Day. Go, you know, hug a tree or whatever. Um, I'm probably just going to step outside for a little bit and then get back to work on something else. <laughs> be sure to come back next week, and, and we are going to be continuing our uh, Liberty Candidate series. I am working on a few other candidates throughout this series that I know you're going to love that I think are just fantastic Liberty Warriors. But come back next week and the week after that for more updates on that. That's all the time we have this week. Please go and follow me on Twitter if you haven't yet. You can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. You can follow the show at Mill Liberty on Twitter. Be sure to uh, share this episode. Be sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update or any um, podcast, any any way that you, you get your podcast. Just subscribe to us there. And be sure to come back next week and we'll do all this over again. And be sure also go ahead and if you support us, go ahead and support us on Patreon because we have a lot of things that we want to do here at outset network and we can only hope to do it through your support so please uh, if you if you really like what we're doing check us out on patreon at outset network and consider giving us your support Uh, and until next week we'll see you